You're listening to The Better Man Podcast, becoming life-giving men together. All right, what's up, everybody? My name's Adam Tarno. I'm here with Chris Harper. Welcome to The Better Man Podcast. So, Chris, today we are going to talk about a couple more words that in the church world get thrown around a lot. Uh, Maybe we don't always pause to define what they mean. I remember when I became a Christian, like in college, I've I've shared that story plenty of times, but uh, I was the new guy in this faith world and hearing people throw around words I never used, right? I just remember hearing like fellowship, like, oh, we're going to fellowship, right? I'm like, what is fellowship? (laughs) That just sounds so weird. Yeah, we're going to hang out. So we're just going to hang out and watch the game, right? Why is it fellowship now? Uh, And so anyway, it's just, it's good for us to not have that curse of knowledge and just remember, we got to define some words sometimes. And so hopefully, if nothing else, People will learn some vocabulary words today from a biblical perspective. So last episode, we talked about courage. Um, you and I, you talked about Chuck Norris brilliantly. Uh, I talked about Braveheart, and those were some ideas that came into our mind. We gave a great definition of courage, moving forward despite fear, courageously following God's Word. And so today we're going to talk about conviction and compassion, right? And very specifically, those two words together— because we see that modeled in our Savior. You want to talk about that real quick and just what we see there and why, why these are two important words for us to talk about? Absolutely, brother. So when we look at Jesus, the ultimate model of a man, we notice that he never divorced his conviction from his compassion. So another way of saying that is he never divorced what he strongly believed from how he treated people. Uh, and it's, it's, it's key because today in, in such a polarized society, whether it's a polarized church or polarized city, politics, et cetera, what we see happening is people divorcing the two. Um, They're either super convicted or they're super compassionate, and it just causes problems. Yeah, it just gets a little lopsided, right? And so uh, I like that. That's such a great way for us to think about that. And obviously we see that, as you were talking about before we hit record on Revelation, the lion and the lamb. That's another like metaphor or image that we could think of with that, this, this conviction and this compassion as well with all of that. And so... If we think about just traditional masculinity, um, which one are we more associated with? Is it compassion or conviction? Yeah, so I think I think traditionally we associate masculinity with conviction, yeah. right? And and I think I think there's an easy answer to that, but but beneath the surface, uh, the reason why why men tend to favor conviction versus compassion, I think it's because conviction only involves me, and I'm only responsible for me whereas compassion involves others. And that's where it gets messy. Like, that's where it gets dangerous. That's where it takes courage to enter into other people's lives and mess and message, right? Yeah, absolutely. And so I'm coming up with images there of, like, uh, the old Leave it to Beaver and Dad come home from work, and he just wants to sit in the chair and read the paper and don't bother me, right? right? And so he can have lots of conviction just sitting there in that chair, don't bother me. But it takes compassion to get up from that chair and go engage with your family or just engage with coworkers or neighbors or whatever it is because then it gets wild. You don't know where it's going to go. You don't know where it's going to go, and you have to have the the vulnerability and the willingness to listen to other people's convictions, <laughs> like listen to other people's ideas and thoughts and beliefs. And it doesn't mean you have to adopt them. It doesn't mean you have to believe them. I think sometimes in today's society, right, you're closed-minded, not if you don't listen, but like if you don't subscribe, right? And I think that's wrong too. But there has to be a willingness to listen and to learn and to exercise some sort of 
empathy yep. towards others. That's right. So, um, what, let, real quickly, like the difference between courage and conviction, is there difference? Are they similar? How, how would you even separate those two words? Yeah, so there definitely is a difference. Conviction really is just a strong belief, right? You know, you mentioned Braveheart uh, not too long ago. I love that. Um, William Wallace had a strong conviction that Scotland ought to be free. And he would not be moved on that. But the reality is there was a lot of men before him that thought that Scotland should be free, but they never had the courage to do anything about it. That's the difference, right? So, so there are men, there are tons of men that are convicted about things, but there are not a lot of men that have courage to do something about it like William Wallace did. You know, that's the main difference. That's good. And so, yeah, so I can be sitting in a chair filled with conviction, and, and that's true. That's right. End of sentence. There's, I have lots of strong beliefs. Yep. But now, what am I going to do with that conviction? Right. Am I going to just open up my phone and start ranting on Twitter about it? Right. Uh, or am I going to get up and go do something about and it? And do something about it. And, and, and here's what's worse, and this is where a lot of men fall into this trap. When we get convicted about something, say it's a good thing, right? So, so I'm convicted that I should be spending more time with my wife, but then I don't do it my conviction immediately turns to guilt. And then we're in this vicious cycle of, you know, not measuring up and, and not being the man we should be, right? So, so I would tell people that conviction that's not acted upon um, will, will turn negative really quick in the form of guilt or sadness or laziness or whatever it is. Yeah, that's really insightful. I'm going to have to sit here and think about that, because you're exactly right. And then the shame that can come with all of that. And then you start going through that cycle enough and then the conviction fades. That's it, bro. You right, just grow dead to it. That's right. Which could be the story of a lot of uh, of older men that would look back on their twenties and thirties and go, "Eh, my faith was stronger back then than it is now." It's not an age thing. It's maybe just you had so much conviction and you didn't act on it. And so, what do you do? You just start adjusting the conviction, right? Just say, "I'm, gonna, eh, maybe I don't believe that as much anymore." And so, I like how those two are there together. So. Um, the compassion piece. So that maybe is a little bit harder as we talked about because it gets messier. Um, and I don't know if I feel like compassion, I have much control over. Do you, do you feel that way? Or how, how would you, how do you counsel men that's like, well, I, I, I want my heart to break for others, or I want to be able to, uh, have the compassion that Jesus showed in the gospels. But man, I just, I just think people are idiots, right? Or That's I think right. they're being fools. And so it's just like, why don't they just stop doing it, right? Or whatever so it is. Good. So how do you how do you reconcile those? Yeah, so this is coming from a guy whose favorite phrase is, suck it up, buttercup. <laughs> so uh, I am not the most compassionate person. Um, and it's a, just a tremendous question, Adam. I think first, you know, it's probably the thing we pray for the least that we need to start praying for the most. You know, if you want God to break your heart, heart for the things that break his heart, ask him to do it. And that in itself takes courage, right? To go before God and say, God, break my heart for what breaks your heart. That's a courageous prayer. Yeah. So I think I think step one would be, Lord, help me to be more compassionate. Um, soften my heart. And then I think the next big step is, Lord, make me aware of the needs of others around me. Like, don't make me deaf to those things. Don't make me blind to those things. I'm so busy in my life that I'm often ignoring those things, right? So help me to see when people are in need of my compassion. And then, of course, the last step would be give me the courage to act 
in that. I, I can find it easier to be compassionate for people who have gone through things that are similar to me, right? So as I get older, obviously there's more ups and downs that I face in life. And so the downs, if it could just be anything from a, a kid struggling socially at school or going through a sickness or something like that, if I've, if I've got a firsthand experience, it's easier for me to be compassionate about it. I find it a challenge if I've never been through it. Right. Uh, because I don't I don't know. It feels like just a mental exercise with all of that. So, um, you know, but but Jesus obviously was able to do it. And so any like what what can we see from the life of Jesus that will help us grow in our compassion towards people, maybe even if we haven't experienced some of the same things they've experienced? Yeah, that's so good. And this this really is the difference between sympathy and empathy. So sympathy says, um, man, I know exactly what you're experiencing, uh, and, and I understand, yeah. like I'm here. Empathy really takes more courage because empathy says, hey, I have no idea what you're going through, but I'm going to be here for you anyways. Yeah, right? Now, Jesus, um, the Scripture tells us, experienced everything we would experience, and even at a greater level. Yeah. And, um, and overcame those things, which is where we get our strength and courage to overcome them. But, but really, it goes back to the difference between those two things. I think it's a lot easier as a man to be sympathetic, uh, and we have to work and strive to be empathetic, um, which, which can be difficult. Yeah, and, which, and sometimes it just involves us, and I'll speak crassly for myself, just shut up and listen. That's so true. Right? Just ask a question, shut up, listen, and if they say they're feeling a negative emotion, they probably are, right. and don't invalidate it. Right? Right. This is just turning into therapy for myself here. That's so uh, now I'm convicted, and hopefully I'll do something about that's it right. with all that kind of stuff. Otherwise, but you'll be shamed. That's right. Out. Yeah. So <laughs> the next episode is me feeling guilty. Uh, then we know it's I didn't act on any of that. But but yeah, and it, and in fact, I was with a group of leaders this week, and we were talking about empathy because. Uh, you know, Brene Brown has done a great job with the culture of bringing this word to the forefront. So, I mean, there, there's a lot, and it's been, it's been right. It's been helpful for us to talk about this and what this means. And um, to listen to somebody and empathize with them and maybe feel some compassion towards them, it doesn't mean you have to even agree that's, with everything. Bro, that, that's so good. So I've got, a, I've got an acquaintance. We went to school together. Um, you know, probably wouldn't hang out with him. He's a little more probably far-right conservative than I am, almost to the point of annoying me. I'll just say it. right. But I was talking to him not too long ago, and um, so he's a pilot. okay. And he said, Chris, um, I was getting ready to get a jump seat on a plane, so I wasn't flying. I was just riding that day. So me and the crew are getting ready to get on the plane. And he said um, a stewardess began bragging about their sex change. So this stewardess was going from a man to a woman. And he was showing pictures about it and, you know, how he dresses and things of that nature. And my friend just said, you know, I kept being bothered and bothered and bothered by this. And he said, finally, I snapped. And I said, hey, um, let me see that picture. He said, so the stewardess turned the phone to me. And my friend looks at him and says, I would never do that. And the stewardess said, do what? He said, I would never wear those shoes with that dress. <laughs> that is not where I thought this was going. I was like cringing, going, I hope your friend's not listening. I hope your friend's not listening. But now, I've, now I want to meet your friend, I think. And he said, uh, he said, if next time you wear that dress, you better wear blue shoes. And he said, Chris, that for the hour and a half 
on the flight. He said, I had the most wonderful gospel conversation with that man. And he said, it's because I entered through compassion, right? I didn't change my conviction about, about gender and God created them male and female, but instead of leading with my conviction... I led with compassion, and it opened the door for a gospel conversation. I thought, bro, that is so, so good. What we may think is uh, standing firm and acting like men. See the last conversation we just had with 1 Corinthians 16? Is if I meet somebody new, uh, it is my obligation as a follower of Jesus to let you know what my convictions are. Right, and so there's some of us out there that that's what we're doing. We're just going, well, no, no, no. You need we need to first talk about the one percent difference we have, not the ninety nine percent that we've got or whatever that percentage is. And what I'm hearing you say there, and with that story, is maybe we've got that a little backwards. That if we can uh, lead with our compassion first, there's always going to be an opportunity to talk about conviction. Absolutely, and maybe maybe this is not weaponizing the word of God. So I see, I see a lot of Christians sometimes uh, treat the Word of God as a weapon, yeah. right? And, and they, act like, they act like they have to defend God, but I love what Spurgeon said. Spurgeon said, you know, defending God is like defending a lion. He doesn't need your help. He doesn't need your help. Right? <laughs> like, just let him out of the cage. Just go. That's what he yeah, does, he's right? He's well-equipped. So, so, you know, we don't, we don't have to always defend God. You know, the word of God is 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 not a weapon. It doesn't it doesn't take life. The word of God gives life. Right? So so I would ask people, man, are you are you using this as a as a life giving resource or as are you using it to defend your moral conviction or your political conviction or your denominational yep. conviction, those right? Are, which are, is yeah. which is happening all the time. Hard questions, hard questions to ask. Uh, I'm just free forming on this one. I haven't thought through this. Can you fake compassion? Absolutely. You think so? Yeah. yeah, just like it's probably in the same vein of false humility. Yeah, so you're, you're faking compassion, not because you genuinely want to see uh, the best for the person, but you want people to see you as better. That's good. Okay, I like that. But there is something very sincere. Like if I was going to say the difference between compassion and conviction, just as we're having this conversation, uh, compassion is observed. Convictions I can just read about. Right. So, but but what you're compassionate about, I I will see you act out on those compassion, the things that that drive you to compassion. That's something I see in your actions. But convictions, I've got to kind of talk to you. Well, again, your friend engaged in a conversation. That compassion was shown. It wasn't coming out going, "Hey, we got a one percent difference here, or a five percent difference in the way we view life." Let me just tell you uh, my thoughts here. It was like, "Hey, look." going to be a friend, right? Let's talk. Let's joke around a little bit. Let's have some levity. And then there's an opportunity to, to share that. But that, that compassion was observed. That's absolutely right. And, and I think the flip side of that is, you know, sometimes as Christians, the danger is we stay in the levity, right? So um, it's great to exercise compassion, but compassion apart from truth still leads to death. Like at some point, you have to winsomely and courageously share the truth of your convictions, share the truth of God's Word. So, so what happens is we do one of two things typically. So we divorce our conviction from our compassion, right? And we just become these uber-compassionate people. And after a while, you really don't know what we believe. You don't know what we stand for. What's that old great, great song? Um, if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for everything, right? So, And I think a lot of people are there. 
The opposite is true. We divorce our compassion from our conviction, and we just become these cold, dead, unapproachable churches and unapproachable people because, man, this is what we believe, and if you don't believe like us, you can't have no part of us. And ultimately become lonely because nobody wants to follow that. Super lonely. Yeah, And, and you're not winsome, which first and foremost is what King Jesus calls us to be. Like, we are to win people into the kingdom of heaven, right? We're not to beat them into the kingdom of heaven. We're not to um, trick them into the kingdom of heaven. We are to win them into yeah. the kingdom of heaven. Yeah. Right? So your your uh, friend's story is reminding me of a few years ago at a Dallas Cowboys game. Uh, it was like the 3.30 afternoon game on the Sunday, the national game of the week, you know. And uh, they showed, as they often do, Jerry Jones's box, right? Because he always has some celebrities and fun people up there. That week was George W. Bush and Ellen, and they sat next to each other, and uh, much to the demise of social media, they had a grand time together. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Okay? And they were just sitting there talking, laughing, having conversation, and two people that obviously had very different political beliefs, very different religious beliefs, I assume, just different. They were different, but they were enjoying each other's company. And I don't know if you remember the story, but... Both of their groups had to issue press releases Monday and Tuesday just going, we respect each other, right? We like each other. (laughs) And it was, there was such outrage that they both had to take time going, yeah, I'm still friends with people that have different convictions (laughs) than me. And I think you should too, right? (laughs) right? And I was just like sitting there applauding that going, man, that's what we need more of, right? That that is okay. Neither of us thought, ooh, I bet they changed their views. It was like, no, it was such a great model of, even if you have different convictions, you can still be compassionate for one another and still enjoy each other's company and laugh a little bit. Absolutely. And and respect each other. Yeah. And Uh, it's good. It's so good, man. I'll never forget um, years ago. So I'm I'm super convicted about pro-life. I believe... uh, in pro-life, and I believe in all life, you know, cradle to the grave. Um, life is a reflection of God's image. It's to be respected, honored, the whole nine yards. So I grew up in an area where there was only one abortion clinic that served three states. It was called the Tri-States Abortion Clinic. Um, hundreds, hundreds of abortions happened here every week. So the church I was with at the time, the building, the clinic that was adjacent to the, to the clinic to the abortion clinic went up for sale and my church bought it. And we put in ultrasound machines in there because we knew that if a woman got an ultrasound, she was nine times more likely to keep the baby. So I would go out once or twice a week and we would, we would try to convince the women going to get an abortion to come get an ultrasound. Um, harmless, you know, there were some idiots out there with signs, you're going to hell and you're murdering and things of that nature, right? That wasn't us. We owned this clinic. We had trained nurses that worked in the clinic. Hey, here's a free ultrasound. Come get one. Yeah. So I'm out there one morning doing this, and a lady walks up to me, and she says, um, you're a terrible human being. And I said, ma'am, I'm, I'm sorry if I've done something to offend you. She said, no, um, you haven't offended me, but all these women that are coming in here to get abortions, and you're shaming them and, and, and telling them how awful they are and telling them how you know, they don't have a right over their body. And I said, I said no, ma'am, like, like, I'm not doing that. Like, it's their body. They can do whatever they want with that. I'm, I'm here just offering them an ultrasound. Yeah. And she said, well, what about the women that are coming in here today that, 
something horrendous has happened, like they've been raped, right? And they've got to carry this thing around. You don't think they have a right to get an abortion? And I said, I, I said, no, ma'am, you're not hearing me. They, it's their body. They can do whatever they want with it. I said, but I'm here because I serve a God who, who takes terrible things like rape and incest and even took brothers beating another brother and throwing him into a hole and selling him into slavery. Like he takes terrible things and he turns them into his glory, like turns them into a message. Like I serve that God. She said, well, what about the women that are coming here to have an abortion because their life is in danger if they have this child? Don't you think they have a right to do that? I said, ma'am, you're not listening. Like they have a right to do that. It's legal. But I'm here because I serve a God who says there's no greater love than this to lay down your life for another. And I've watched women at the expense of their own life give birth to a child. And she goes, can, can we go somewhere and talk? I said, well, I thought that's what we were doing. <laughs> what do you call this? <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> she said, I'm a, I'm a reporter for Politico magazine, and I'm down from Minnesota uh, to do a story on this clinic. And she said, I'd love to have breakfast with you. So we just go and have breakfast, and um, at the end of the breakfast, you know, I ask, are, are you a believer? She said, no, my husband and I aren't really into that. I said, do you go to church anywhere? She said, no. I said, well, listen, I've got, I said, my best friend pastors a church in Minnesota. His name's John Piper, and <laughs> I gave her the address to his church. John Piper has no idea who I am, by the yeah, way. But, but your brothers. But, uh, that's yeah. right. But, right. So I, I sent her to his church, and she sent me an email on Easter Sunday just how much she had appreciated the conversation wow. and the willingness to talk, right? Come on, man. And that's just a, that's an example. You know, that would be one example in my life, and there's not a lot of them, unfortunately, yeah. where like I never divorced my conviction for the compassion I had for yeah. these people, right? And they're not, they don't always have to be at odds, right? That's and that, right. that may be what the, some of the tension we feel as men is, uh, well, if I, if I give an inch over here, if I'm a little compassionate, then I'm going to... And there's a way to make this work. That's right. right. There's a way to love people, be compassionate, and not yeah. have to sacrifice what you believe. And it sounds like you handled that great, and yeah. um, that's awesome. So, okay, if, if guys listening to this are like, all right, I want to study more of this, right? I want to hear more about this conviction and compassion. Um, this is tied into a product the Better Man's got that, that has recently come out or soon to be coming out, depending on when they're listening to this. You want to talk about that real quick before Man, we wrap up? Absolutely, brother. So on December 19th, we're releasing um, the first piece of new content in years at Better Man. We're so excited. Uh, it's, a, it's a series of five-week studies that break down our definition of what biblical masculinity is. Um, it's called Better Man Defined. Mm. And the first five-week study is courageously following God's Word. So we're going to lead men, and we're going to lead entire churches and groups through how do you courageously follow the Word of God today when when courage is lacking. Yep. Uh, that comes out December 19th. We can't wait for you guys to go to betterman.com. You can download the videos. You can download the workbook, the whole nine yards, and and begin to, to, to walk men through it. I love it. All right, Chris, as always, great conversation today. Good to be with you. 